Please join me for a word of prayer. God, take my words and speak through them. Take our minds this night and think through them. Take our will and set them on fire for love of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Good evening. Psalm 101, Psalm 111, verse 2 says, Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. And that's our simple task this evening, to ponder the works of the Lord. The things that he did on Christmas morning. And in order to do that, I'm going to start with one illustration. I'm going to make one explanation of the passage that we, one of the passages we just heard, and make two uh, implications. So let me start with an illustration, a great Christmas story. It has a little bit of a dark beginning, so just bear with me. Uh, historians tell us that World War I was a terrible war. I know it's probably hard to put the most terrible in front of any war, but historians rightly agree that it is, it is, it's one of the most terrible. Terrible in its cost, 25 million casualties over a four-year period. Ca- terrible in its seeming pointlessness. A terrible in its conditions as well. There was a recent film entitled, They Shall Not Grow Old. A really wonderful documentary, documentary uh, that reclaimed some quickly deteriorating and limited video footage from that war. And that film just underscores what we all know to be true. The trench warfare, those iconic images that we think of when we think of that war, is just awful. Close combat, 100 yards or less between combatants, uh, just squalid living conditions, wet, when it was raining, hot, when the sun was shining. But this really very awful setting is the background for a really a very inspiring Christmas story. You may know it. If you have heard it, it's worth hearing again. If you haven't heard it, it's a great Christmas story with the benefit of being true. So the war began in July of 1914. Most soldiers went to war expecting a very quick return. They thought they would be home by Christmas. That did not happen. Fall, summer turned to fall, fall to winter. And soon one enemy was in, dug into one trench and the other enemy and dug into the other trench. And both those dreams of a hasty return quickly vanished. Now the wet weather in Europe that fall and early winter was extremely mild, but extremely wet, making the life in the trenches all the more unpleasant. But on December 24th, 1914, the weather broke, and those gray clouds were replaced with a bright, crisp blue morning. And the soldiers woke to find a, find a little dusting of snow and frost on the landscape. The day proceeded as normal, as normal as any day can be. And around 8.30, an officer of the Royal Irish Rifles reported hearing something very strange from the German line about 100 yards away. He heard the German carol, Silent Night. Not the crack of rifles or any other sound of war, but a Christmas carol. And so the English responded with a carol of their own, the first Noel, which is a a traditional English carol. And so it went back and forth. 
Through the night, these two sides serenaded one another with Christmas carols. There was even the, the, there was even the occasional exchange of Merry Christmas English from the Germans and Merry Christmas Germans from the English. And a strange Christmas Eve gave way to an even stranger Christmas Day. Because as the day broke, there was a few tentative heads peeking up over the trench, and then a little bit more of a torso, and then one soldier after another stood on outside of their trench, and they cautiously approached one another. And those soldiers that had been shooting the kill 24 hours ago met on an unofficial truce on December 25th. Now they shook hands, wished one another Merry Christmas, exchanged gifts of whiskey and cigarettes. Historians estimate that two-thirds of the British line, which ran from Belgium to northern France, accounting for tens of thousands of soldiers, participated in this Christmas truce. And the crowning jewel of the day was a soccer match played in the middle of that no-man's land between the English and the Germans. They used their helmets and their boots for goalposts and to mark the field. Well, the Germans won two to three, but uh, one of the English soldiers is recorded as saying, our chaplain served as the referee, and our chaplain acted with too much Christian charity. Their outside winger scored the deciding goal, but he was offside by a mile and admitted it as soon as the final whistle sounded. Now at dusk, each returned to their respective sides. And one soldier recounted his final interaction. He said, today we have peace, but tomorrow you fight your country, for your country and I fight for mine. Good luck. And fighting began the next day and would not end until four years later, on Armistice Day. But on November 25th, 1914, there was a soldier-led, Christmas-inspired peace. And that is the true story of the World War I Christmas truce. The Wall Street Journal, apparently not known for its sentimentality, then has now wrote, what appears from the winter fog and misery is a Christmas story that is, in truth, the most faded and tattered of all adjectives. It is inspiring. Now, this Christmas truce, it's a wonderful story, and it's a perfect illustration from the passage from Isaiah. Please turn there. The passage is actually written in poetry. We've shortened it so it'll fit on the page, but especially beginning in verse 6, that passage you know well, for unto us a child is born. It's a poetry. It's a, it's a song. And Isaiah is writing to a people who have, walked, who have walked in darkness and who have lived in gloom. First couple of verses. Isaiah is writing to a people who have, who have been burdened, who have been enslaved, Verse 5, who have been in conflict, sorry, a, a burden and enslaved, verse 4, under the yoke, the yoke being a very typical image of slavery. They have been in conflict. Note the tools of war, boot of the warrior, 
garments rolled in blood. These are people that have been in conflict, burdened, in darkness, and in gloom. And that's a historically accurate picture of the people of God from Isaiah's day forward. They were a conquered people, conquered by one nation after the other. But Isaiah anticipates a time when God's people walking in darkness will see a great light. When gloom will be replaced by joy. Isaiah anticipates a day when the burdensome yoke of the rod will be broken and the tools of war, tramping of boots. The signs of war, garments of blood, will, will be tossed into the fire. Now that is a wonderful image, especially if you happen to be one of the poor and the oppressed. And if we were to ask Isaiah, well, Isaiah, that's great. How is that to come about? Isaiah has a very simple but very surprising answer. If we were to say, how will war cease? How will burdens be lifted? How will light replace darkness? Gloom, joy replace gloom? Isaiah answers this with a surprising response in verse 6. This will happen. For to us a child is born. That for should be read as a because. Why will war cease? Because... A child is born, a son is given. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And this passage may be dulled by familiarity, but just think of how silly that is. One person. One person is going to cause words to cease and lift the gloom, break the burdens, really? And this one person is just a child. He's not even a warrior. Further, there's a child who's described as a, pin a prince of peace. One commentator writes, Surely the book of Isaiah indicates that God is powerful enough to destroy his enemies in an instant. Yet again and again, when the prophet comes to the means of deliverance, a childlike face appears. And Christians, of course, believe that the events we celebrate in Christmas are the fulfillment of Isaiah's promise. The child to be born, the son to be given, the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, is that same babe in a manger. And while it may seem impossible that one child would cause wars to cease, cause uh, the burdens to be lifted, dispel gloom, and drive out darkness, that's exactly what happened on December 24th, 1914. War ceased. Burdens were lifted. In other parts of the book of Isaiah, the prophet describes the impact of the reign of this king, and he says, spears will be beaten into plow hooks. Spears and the pruning forks, instruments of war would be made into instruments of peace. And allowing for a little modernization, that's exactly what happened on December 4th, 1914. Boots used for goalposts, helmets for sideline markers. It seems impossible that one vulnerable child could bring peace, lift burdens, dispel darkness. But that is exactly what Christians claim. That's what exactly what Christianity asserts. And that is exactly what Christians, at least in part, have experienced. That Jesus is the light. And to walk in him, to walk with him, is to walk in the light. That Jesus is the life. And to walk with him, to trust in him, leads to not a life of gloom, but a full life. That Jesus breaks the burden and lifts the burden of sin and guilt. That Jesus is the Prince of Peace and establishes peace between God and then peace with one another. 
Let me summarize the passage. Isaiah anticipates a time when joy will replace gloom because burdens will be lifted. Burdens will be lifted because conflict will end and conflict will end because a child is born. And Christians believe that that child is Jesus. Now, having explained the passage, let me draw two very simple implications. The first implication is this. A faith in a child requires a childlike faith. What I mean simply is that Isaiah's, the people of Isaiah's day faced a complex problem, big problems. But Isaiah had a simple answer to the complex problems of his day. It was a person. It was the arrival of a man. All of us this evening face problems. Big problems, little problems, complex problems. Whether our problems are big or small, complex or simple, the same simple answer that Isaiah provided for the people of God in his day is the same answer he provides for us in our day. The answer to your problems, whatever your problems are, is a person. Jesus. Someone you can know. Someone you can trust. Someone you can turn to. And someone who is already, always ready to turn to you. I don't suggest that turning to Jesus automatically makes your problems go poof. But I do believe that it is true what Philip Brooks wrote, that the hopes and the fears of all our years are met in him tonight. And whatever the answer to your questions is, I guarantee Jesus Christ is a part of it. Faith in a child requires a childlike faith. Secondly, second implication, childlike faith leads to childlike joy. After the evening, of, evening service last Sunday, my, la my youngest daughter, daughter Susie, age six, asked my wife why the valleys were so tired. My wife responded, what do you mean, Susie? The valleys are not tired. Susie responded, well, why did the person sing that the valleys were exhausted? And then she stumbled through the portion of Handel's Messiah that was sung as an offertory. Every valley shall be exhaust exalted. <laughs> not exhausted. But sometimes, it is easy to feel exhausted. And exhaustion can, lose to be, can lead to being overwhelmed, and being overwhelmed can lead to anxiety, and anxiety can lead to gloom. And allowing for some down days for all of us, I simply think that a gloomy Christian is an oxymoron. We are those people that Isaiah anticipated who have seen a great light. Those people who know the name of the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, 
He is our everlasting Father. I need not worry. He is the mighty God I can lighten up. Imagine just for a moment the gloom and the darkness of the soldiers on World War I on December 23rd. Then imagine their joy and lightness of heart on December 25th. And I think joy and lightness of heart is a result of a childlike faith. The carol, it came upon a midnight clear, has good counsel if and when we feel exhausted, overwhelmed, gloomy, discouraged, and despondent. The author writes, And ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, you who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow, look now, for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. Oh, rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. What did those angels sing? Well, let me remind us as we close. In that same region, there were shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of angels and the heavenly host praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men. And it is no stretch to imagine that in addition to that song, the angels added an additional refrain from Isaiah's. And he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father. So turn to him with childlike faith. With childlike faith comes childlike joy.